Hello, everyone. This is Airy in the Air. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so stoked you're here. I'm so stoked that I'm here. I love making this show for you. I really do. It has been such a joy and such a growth experience for me, especially through this coronavirus as I've talked to just amazing people with perspective and experts and doctors and all this stuff, right? And today I have a show that is soothing to my soul because I have one of my best buddies back on the show, Sage Catabriga Alosa. Sage is without a doubt one of the greatest big mountain skiers of all time. He has been a TGR athlete making ski movies for the last 20 years and has done some really, really awesome stuff. Mainly being dropped off on the top of crazy mountains out of a helicopter in Alaska. Just those are some highlights. But Sage and I, he moved back to Bend a couple years ago and through mountain biking and skiing, we've become quite close and On this episode, we reminisce over some of our best adventures in the last six months and some of our mutual friends, and we kind of hear about the season that never happened and, yeah, where all of this is going. We actually go really deep into, like, sponsorship and the model of athlete sponsorship and how that might change and how we might be agents of change to actually push that model towards good and push it towards things that are a bit more relevant in creating the new world. And so, yeah, super awesome conversation. And honestly, I got to tell you what Sage is. Sage is this creature. He is so wiry. He is, it's so, it's almost ironic that his name is Sage because he is a sage. Like he is this like very, his skin is dry and cracked. His voice is kind of raspy he's like wiry and tough but he's so light he's so light and he's so fun and he's like so easy to be around and he just makes anything you do just a bit more fun he's an incredible skier and he's a ripping mountain biker but he's also a very patient father and a really, really easy person to get along with. He's very inviting. He's very funny. And I'm super, super grateful to have him as a friend. So without further ado, let me give you some music, set the mood here, and then I'll let you experience Sage in hopefully a similar way to how I do. So without further ado, here's my talk with my boy Sage Catabrigalosa.
Sage, hi, welcome back to the podcast. It's been quite a while since we recorded the first podcast in your house. I think your children were just still babies then. Yeah, now they're four. <laughs> Whoa. Oh man, time flies. I know. Time flies. Here we are, May 2020, wrapping up the season that never happened. Yeah, man, kind of a bummer. I'm gonna tell you know. Tell me about your ski season or the lack thereof. Yeah, well, I mean, if you know anything about me, I'm a professional skier. So skiing is kind of like my bread and butter and sort of my, also my kind of favorite thing to do in the world, you know? And so this ski season was kind of a weird one. Um, My perspective on it is kind of like, yeah, whatever at this point. Um, I was definitely like gone through a sliding scale of, uh, you know, the grieving process, I guess, of, of losing a season <laughs> or whatever. But, yep. um, and, uh, it was kind of weird here in central Oregon. Um, you know, I live here in Bend cause I love it. I love the people. I love the vibes and the skiing is, um, is great. And it's also not like the number one reason to be here kind of, um, you might not always have like an awesome winter here. It's pretty low elevation. We can get rain. It can be weird. Um, there's a lot of good ski seasons and skiing is like one of those things you can enjoy it kind of no matter what. But, uh, so this is kind of one of those years that like was a little bit weird here in Oregon and that's just the way it goes. It's not that big of a deal. Um, well, the weather it. wasn't the only thing that was weird around here this year, huh? Yeah, no, no, it was, it was, yeah. And so I guess for me, it was, it was weird because there was like, uh, yeah, it just wasn't a lot of snow early on when the storms would come, they would either be kind of like really aggressive and you'd have to kind of be just like battling to be out there. And then when they would end, they would kind of end either with rain or just something weird would happen. And so, yeah, it was, I felt like overall, when I look back on the year, it was probably one of the seasons I've skied the least. Yep. Me too. Uh, and also, I look back thinking, gosh, I had a lot of great days. Me too. Yep. And there was that day, there was two days in a row that you and I skied at our favorite little spot. And the first day, it had snowed so much that we set off what was a really big avalanche. Not on, not on accident, on purpose there. Ripped out three bowls and it like ran a mile and piled up five feet on the trees. And the debris pile was really big. And that was the day that we dug like 120 centimeter storm slabs in our pits. Yeah. And the next, and we skied very gingerly in the trees there. And then the next day as, or two days later or something, as we took Annie and Adam and everybody out there, it was like the best day, the best snow I've skied in like recent memory. It was like overhead, just so deep feeling like I was like swimming in it. So yeah, we definitely had some really good days this year, but I think I only yeah. skied eight days or some something like that. Crazy, yeah. Yeah, that's just kind of how it goes with skiing. I mean, it is like, it's it's crazy like that. Like you really, when it comes down to it, the, the good days are so few, even in a sick year, even in a year when everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. Like the days that are really magical, there's only a couple of them. Um, you deal with a lot of kind of days that are just fun because you're out there and that's kind of what's great about it all. And it really is. Uh, yeah. I like that perspective. And that's any, any sport that we do that's so closely tied to nature, 
it makes it so much better when the stars fully align and those things are rare and the rarity is what makes them so good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Well, let's rewind a little bit. 22019 end of October, 2019. Sage and Ari and Adam go to Oaxaca, Mexico to participate in Trans Sierra Norte, one of the rowdier enduro races on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing, if you know anything about me, you know that I'm a skier. And if you you know me any closer than that, you know that I love mountain biking (laughs) as much as skiing. But since I'm just a recreationalist... You know, I might even love it a little more at times. Yeah. So, uh, right. You're kind of a professional grade recreationalist though. You're pretty good on the mountain bike. I'm, I guess I did sign up as pro at the bike race, the first bike race I went to ever. Um, and I do have sort of some, you know, minimal sponsorship level. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm borderline there. So, but anyway, we got to go to Mexico to race bikes and, um, Man, it was, it was rad. I guess, um, for me, it was the first time I've ever traveled with my bike. I mean, I've like driven to Whistler or whatever. That's kind of been like the biggest pilgrimage I've taken with my bike. Uh, but to fly in a plane, to go to another country, to go to Mexico, to go ride. Um, and so you're, you know, another culture, um, another landscape, just, and then a whole nother experience with the bike race. It was really, uh, really exciting. And it was, it was kind of all about just the idea was just sort of like, yeah, friends getting together and the bike sort of being this vehicle didn't to take us to a new experience, you know? And, um, yeah, to get to go there with you, um, Adam, Alex, we had Matthew, and and shelves are our, our, our fearless <laughs> leader you are a real or, or you you are our leader for sure but uh shelves putting it all together so we had a sick crew of friends and um variety of experience uh from the actual pro bike racers to us um uh-huh. so yeah it was a it was a really really awesome experience and um i'm still vibing off of it yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, that definitely, uh, Oaxaca definitely reignited my stoked for mountain biking. Like when I was a kid, I used to build all kinds of jumps and my dad was like a construction, you know, owned a construction company. So we we're always taking like scrap boards and building jumps and stuff and just like getting the neighborhood kids to lay down to see how many friends we could clear. <laughs> You know, but then like once I started skiing and then highlining and paragliding, it just like mountain biking was just always in the background. And I, you know, when I was probably like 21, I went over the bars at the lair, you know, the lair, the big jump line here in Bend. Like I jumped, I went too far on one of the jumps and I went over the bars and I hurt my back and I was like, nope, not doing that again. So I kind of backseated it. And I didn't really, and then I started riding the mountain bike trails here around Bend, but they're just really like, after you go to Oaxaca, they're just like nothing, you know, they're flat around here. Everything's flat. (laughs) Yeah. And Oaxaca was eye opening in just what a mountain bike is even capable of riding over, like how steep and how rough and for how long and right. Right. And you know, 
Sage and I have this uh, mutual best friend, Adam Craig. He's an Olympian mountain biker and he is one of the best mountain bikers on the planet. And the, my trip to Oaxaca really helped me understand the level of riding that Adam is at because a couple of times when we ride around here, Adam's like, Oh, don't follow Sage. Like Sage is really good. He's really fast. He's totally dialed. And it's almost like Adam, like, is like, you know, look out for Sage. He's like almost better than me. But then we go to Oaxaca and it's like the difference between Sage and Adam is like leagues and leagues and leagues. Like the level that Adam rides at is just, it is, it is incredible. So just to explain to people what this, what this, this race is, it's a blind enduro race. So essentially all of the riders go to the top of these different stages and they have never seen the course and you ride down it as fast as you can. And the blind element is something that I couldn't quite imagine. I couldn't quite predict what that element is. Tell me what, what was your experience with the blind element of this? Yeah. Well, it's like, what's cool about it is it really keeps you in check. You know, you really have to be smart about how you ride Uh because you don't know the trail. You've never been down this trail before. And so it's like this crazy dichotomy of your mind is like, I'm in a race. I have to go as fast as I can. And you have to really like allow that part of your brain. That's like, Hey, you've never been on this trail. You're in unknown territory. You're in Mexico. You're in like the middle of nowhere. Like you can't even get a truck or vehicle to where you are right now. Keep yourself in check. Um, and you're kind of bouncing this back and forth. And for me, yeah, it was, well, it's awesome. Like you say, mentioning Adam, like a great friend and bike inspiration and, uh, huge like resource for me for biking, both in, uh, you know, mental and, and, uh, actual physical <laughs> being, you know, bike material and things, but, um, to, and, and riding with him, he's just one of those guys, like you said, like he always just makes you, um, feel like he, you're just like, I don't know. Like when I ride with him, I never feel like he could just smoke me at any minute, like uphill, downhill, you know, he always just makes you feel like he's having a blast. He's riding hard yeah. and he's right there with you. And he's just really polite in that way. Yeah. And so it was awesome to see him in his element. Like you said, to see what his, like what his high level is yeah. and how like chill he keeps it most of the time and how yeah. he just acts so normal about that. So yeah, to see Adam in, in full form and, um, and he was a great, like, he was such a great resource and like kind of coach and mechanic and sort of like, yeah. um, to us being kind of new in this race format. And so to back to the, the experience of like the blind racing, you know, Adam was just like a good resource for that. Like he was just like, you know how to ride, just ride smart, ride what you do. And, and I do a lot of like trail riding where I'm not super familiar with the trail. Um, there's a lot of trail kind of on the, you know, hour plus around bend that it's like you go do once or twice a year kind of thing. And I love doing those adventures kind of all summer long. So that's sort of, um, so I guess I'm fairly used to like riding a new trail and riding it pretty well. I'm used to on sighting trails. I've had a lot of practice, like going different places, seeing technical, weird, gnarly stuff and kind of just being able to like line it up real quick. Um, I've felt like a lot of confidence in my biking in that, like knowing, when to just be like, yep, I got this and being like, knowing when to be like, have that question, feeling pretty Mm -hmm. confident in that. So going into a blind race, I felt pretty good. Um, I was like, oh yeah, I can do this. This will be great. I'm a good rider. I'm good at 
on site and figuring it out. I'm smart. And, um, you know, and so then to, but then the racing aspect, I'm not a racer, you know, not a big racer. And so to have that, like I was saying that, like dropping in be like, I'm racing and immediately trying to like keep up with Adam and immediately him just like losing me, like not even trying, like trying to kind of like trying to like, I could tell he was trying to like, kind of like keep me with him, you know? Yeah. Like, cause he knew, like, if I got to a certain point, I'd be able to like stay with him, but it was just, he was just gone. And I was just like, later dude. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) see at the bottom. Um, yeah, I I like back and forth. I I like what you said about how cool it is to see Adam in full form because you're totally right. Adam Craig is the, like one of the greatest camp counselors the world has ever known. And what right what sage is saying of like you can go on a mountain bike ride he's an olympian like his fitness is even after retirement his fitness is just crazy and so we go on these rides and he's never like hurry up he's never like oh you're slow and i could ride so much faster he just like he just like rides along like having such a great time and to go to Oaxaca and see him in full form was like, whoa, this guy's really, really fast on a bike. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, one of those trails, one of those trails was two and a half miles long and it descended 3,500 feet in two and a half miles. It was just like straight down and Adam completed it in just over 10 minutes, which is just crazy, man. Was that the uh was that the the like the, the super gnar sick one, the one that flatted? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Damn, yeah. Yeah. And it was so was- cool to be there for Day of the Dead. Like the cultural experience in Oaxaca. Oaxaca has such a beautiful culture and a beautiful cuisine and the people and the colors and the textiles. Not to mention the mountains, you know, like who knew? I didn't know that we were going to be racing our bikes from 10,000 feet in Oaxaca, you know? Yeah. So that's, yeah. Back to the race, man. The, the specialness of, yeah, the specialness of the place, Mexico and Oaxaca, like you're saying, man, we were, the race is, is basically planned to be there for day of the dead. And so we're, we're in, you know, this really, yeah. Cultural hub, like you said, uh, for, for Mexican culture, um, food, um, uh, the agaves that grow there. It's, you know, unique and it's mezcal, it's the mezcal hub. And so there's like all this just like wild, wild kind of cultural and interesting, like, um, yeah, kind of just rich, rich, like aspects of the place. And then the biking, right. So, so all that is like really just worth going for in general, just to go to Oaxaca and then to go there biking blew my mind too, dude. Like I love biking long trails and I love riding the gnar. Like I kind of like my biking started basically like I kind of had a buddy, like you said, I kind of fell out of it for a while. And then I had a buddy who kind of was like, got me on a downhill bike. And so I sort of started downhilling again after like, you know, from going from like a kid who just everybody bikes when you're a kid, you kind of either get into it or you don't. And I kind of didn't have the cash to, but then the DH bike got me into it and I got super into downhilling and into jumping and started, and then sort of slowly realized that like pedaling pretty awesome too. And have been on that program for a long time now, but since like that DH kind of background, I love the NAR. So going to Mexico, I was like, yeah, here it's, you know, it's, it's gnarly in the, 
the trails are rough there. And, and Adam's like, yeah, you would need the big bike and you need these, like the real knee pads. And I was just like, I didn't really realize like how I was like, huh? All right, cool. Yeah. It's gotta be gnarly. Like I like riding gnarly stuff. And then I like riding long trails and you know, whatever. And then, yeah, we get there. The trails are like, yeah, like you said, insanely big, long, 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 huge vert, high elevation, crazy, crazy gnarly. Like I was like, Oh yeah, I see why you want <laughs> and blind and blind and blind. And you don't know where you're going. It was, it was so wild, but having the, the trails were so unique too. Cause they would mm-hmm. start like, they would like the, my kind of description is that, for the most part, the trails start in the pine forest where it's just like literally loamy and lush. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like you could, you could be in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And mushrooms then it rolls everywhere. In. Yeah. Right. Mushrooms everywhere. Then you roll in and it sort of turns into this more jungly feel where it's like, everything's a little danker. The trail now, instead of being like lush and kind of pine needly is now like this trench because it was created by donkeys, like in the last hundred years. And then that trench like gets gnarly and rocky and things start to dry out. And all of a sudden you're like dropping off these ledges, like they're curb after curb after curb, like you're in Moab or something. And you pop out into like some dusty gravelly <laughs> sketchy corner like long trail like through all this like desert and you just are like what did i just travel through everything is what you travel through it's really really cool it is and so then, cool like, i love that description you know you end in, and you're and then oh yeah on top of that you like end in a cool little village yep. with like homemade with like local made mezcal from that village and it's like sold in a (laughs) sold in a reused Gatorade bottle yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the agave there in the mountains there's a type of agave called agave maguey and they are literally 10 feet tall 11 feet tall and as as big as a car they look like a car sitting there and the each arm of the agave is hard like wood it's like a sword and if you went off trail and went flying into an agave like in being impaled is literally what would happen like you could this thing would literally go through you it's so sharp and so hard and we're like racing yeah. by them every day whoosh 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 i remember there was times where you would be like because so you know uh is for listeners here airy went down as our Oh boy, the man of many hats, we'll say. We may go into it more, but he was there to to be film producer and filmmaker. So Ari was filming. And so he'd be like, oh man, you guys went through this section. I was lined up. I had the sickest shot. There was these two giant agaves and the trail went right through them. And I kind of like would know where you were on the trail. And I was like, really? Like, I don't remember seeing the agaves at all. Like when you're racing, you're just like trail, but you know, you're not looking at anything but the trail. I'm just trying to figure out where to go as as fast as you can go and and whatever. And then, um, it wasn't until like I got home and I looked through some of the POVs that I was like, you know, when the, one of the things I love about POV footage is that you then have the time to slowly look around uh-huh. what you didn't have the time, you know, in the action. And I was like, look, like, Oh my God, this is what Aaron was talking about. This is like a junkyard. Like you're saying, it's like literally like flying through like a junkyard of cars, but the cars are agaves. And if you hit one, yeah, you're getting speared by this like uh, science fiction movie. Straight like up. 
you know, like <laughs> yeah, it's like an alien, some kind it's of alien like, creature. It's like a Venus flytrap for mountain bikers. Yeah, dude, the arm that <laughs> yeah. transformer dude. No, I don't know. It is amazing there. Yeah, it is amazing. And yeah, yeah the man of many hats it definitely felt like that. As you know, I was married to a Mexican for a decade and have been there twenty five times and speak Spanish, and so I was the translator and the tour guide and the. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, the the blessing and the curse of being somewhere and having the experiences, then you become the leader. Yeah. So, <laughs> but what a crew to be leading down there! That was yeah, so fun. We, man, and yeah, the the bike racing was a fun experience. I sort of it took me a couple of days to kind of figure out like how to kind of handle my mental physical experience with it. Yeah, it, it was. It was fun. It was definitely, I'm not a bike racer. Well, you were also coming off a big crash. You almost, we almost canceled. You were almost out of the trip altogether. You crashed at Carson's thing, hitting a jump that you shouldn't have. Tell me about that. There's there was that. Um, well I had, I went out to the black sage, um, kind of event here in central Oregon that Kyle Jamison and Carson Storch put on. That's like a kind of, freestyle bike competition or not not competition just kind of like showcase that they do it's like all these sick jumps and um and i've hit the stuff before in years past and been out there a bunch and you know i just kind of went out there and it was like basically like a train park jump for bikes and i've yeah i kind of had was comfortable hitting that kind of stuff but hadn't done it in a while and just didn't really didn't really do the proper steps to like ease in maybe the way I should have and just kind of uh yeah quick it was basically my second hit first hit I kind of went there was like a weird setup jump um and uh went a little slow kind of came up short and was like geez I need to go faster I threw a couple pedals and then went way too fast and like super overshot this jump um it's probably like a I don't know maybe a 30 40 footer man footer like a fee or something um and just like dead sailor like worst case scenario basically just kind of got dead sailor to the air like going over the bars and just was like hoping out and so yeah so i was out for like basically like the seven weeks right before the race i was sage I, just, I lost you i lost you at telling me about the size of the jump there oh sorry um yeah this rebate um yeah. So anyway, it was like a setup jump, like 30 footer that I just took way too big endoed and broke my scapula. And so for like the seven weeks before going to the race, I was out, wasn't riding, wasn't doing anything. Um, so yeah, I was kind of came into the bike race off the couch, off an injury, but it was like, it was a broken bone and bones heal pretty strong. And it was sort of like, you know, don't re-break it, but you're pretty much fine was basically the, you know, kind of advice from the docs. So I was pretty like, all right, whatever, I'm fine. <laughs> and of course, like race blind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Race blind, race these gnarly trails. <laughs> and I think it wasn't the first stage, but it was the second stage. It was like the first stage of the race was really short and it was like a lot, it was almost like a bunch of uphill. It was kind of brutal. Um, but pretty short, just a few minutes. And then the second stage was insane. Like it was a 15 minute stage of like 3000 feet, super long, muddy, mucky. And, uh, so it was kind of like the first real kind of stage. And I fully like OTB'd 
like right to my <laughs> left shoulder, which was the one I broke, like, you know, basically like first day. It was just like, like, oh my God, OTB, land on it, pop up. I'm like, all right, sweet, I'm good. Yeah, I have this video clip of you at the bottom of the stage just being like, it was crazy. It just got steeper and deeper. And I didn't know, I honestly, I didn't even know what was going on. I was just trying to hold on for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of those, man. There was a lot yeah, of those. dude, it's gnarly down there. That was so fun. Oh, speaking of which, man, I accidentally deleted some uh, my footage from that trip. Can I? Do you got that on a hard drive? I got it all backed up, buddy. Double backed. Sick. Thanks, man. So um, I just actually posted a couple of those run, race runs on YouTube. Cool. It's like the full POV. So cool. Yeah, that gives people an idea of what actually how long it really is. And the GoPro honestly doesn't quite do it justice. There was just a couple of those that are just like so steep and so rocky. And when yeah. your eyes come around the corner and see how sharp the rocks are, but your wheels don't care that much, your wheels go right over it. But you're like, if I fall down right there, like my tires are going to be fine. But if I put my butt right there, like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Not a, not a got a lot of good situations there. And that's kind of the case with our local riding spot out there at Klein. But you know, if we're talking about mountain biking, I feel like you and I are two, you know, we're like fringe, you know, we're like, we're like professional athletes in other sports. We're not like hardcore lycra it up mountain bikers. So we actually are some of the outcasts who get to ride the fun e-bikes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, you got to, you should, I, I interviewed Carl Decker on the podcast and his, it's so cool. He, he talks about at the Sea Otter Classic, they announced that they were going to do an e-bike race and Carl Decker took a salad shooter and took it apart so that the, and taped it to his bike so that it had like an electrical plug sticking off of it. And then he entered the e-bike race just with his anthem. <laughs> with his just normal mountain bike race and out of 32 people he got 16th no way yeah out of 32 yeah. people at an e-bike race he got 16th and it's just like it's so funny he said that he raced harder at that race than he did at any of the other races <laughs> all year because he was so he was so determined to try to kick the yes. asses of e-bikes but that's awesome you know i'm glad yeah. i'm i'm not a sponsored mountain biker because i love the e-bikes they tend to ride like a little bit different but like really good and yeah 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 i I love e-bike thoughts i love i love e-bikes um i think i think uh yeah it's interesting um the whole situation around them i guess because uh yeah just the the controversy the that they've that they've kind of developed but um basically just of people not liking them because they're cheating or whatever um but i just think it's like yeah it's just another bike it's a different mode of transport i ride my e-bike i ride my real mountain bike too um and i think they're just different and i ride them for different reasons and different days um and it's like another just tool in there it's like it's like hating dirt jump bikes or hating downhill bikes or Mm -hmm. because you're cross country or whatever it's like it's just another thing and whatever um i mean they it's i guess it's important to recognize that it does have a motor i'm not trying to say it doesn't have a motor it's not like um but it's just like but motors are awesome i don't know you (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. So it's, right. it's a, uh, and I, I look at it as it's like allowed. Like I look at it as it's like a shuttle rig, you know, it's like if mm. I'm going to, if you're using it instead of a vehicle for shuttling, that's an awesome thing. Yeah. There's a lot of benefits and a lot of, um, you know, maybe there's a couple negatives. I think for me, the way I look at it is like, I just try to be a good advocate and a good example on it. Um, you know, when I'm riding one, I ride in place where I pretty much don't see other people. And if I do see other people, I, and I'm on the e-bike, um, I just try to take a little extra consideration, um, whether they're dog walkers or other mountain bikers, um, try not to go uh, flying past them. Yeah. Yeah. Uphill. Yeah. Usually what I do is I actually just turn it off completely and I just like pedal as hard as I can because you can hammer on them, especially because you're kind of like already up to a good cadence. Um, and so I'll just hammer and I'll just pass them with the e-bike turned off and just be like, Hey, how's it going? And then once I get by a little bit, I'll just turn it up one notch and kind of, you know, don't hammer on it, but just, you know, just kind of <laughs> pass with care and, and chat a little bit, talk to them a little bit. Maybe, you know, it's like, um, yeah. Cause it's just like, I don't see many people out there. And when I do, I kind of, uh, like to fashion myself as like an advocate of the trail and a, and a steward of the land. And so I just like to talk to people and be, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just, yeah, just yeah, be check nice. in. And, and so, yeah. exactly. So Try not so to rub it in their face. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's also funny because writing these things with Adam and Carl, it is another way that you actually get to see what these guys at this level are capable of on a bike because I went and rode with Carl and Adam and I burnt through two batteries on the e-bike and those guys were conversational the whole way. Dude, I know it's insane. Yeah. Like if, like I basically, if I ride like as hard as I can without talking, I can like be at Adam's kind of like, he can still be having full conversation and it take (laughs) any, yeah, it's like, He's like, oh, well, if we actually rode this, this would go by pretty quick. I'm like, dude, I am riding like as far as I possibly can right now. Like I can't, I can't, if I was pushing any harder, we would need to be like silent, like head down. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. That, that reminds me of Adam's birthday two years ago. We did a, we did a 30 mile ride that had 10,000 feet of elevation gain. And Sage and I were like, it was like a big group of Adam's like, mountain bike friends and then sage and i and we were like who are these people and why how are they not throwing up right now <laughs> we've been doing a four and a half hour climb what is going on here it's 95 degrees out august 6th or whatever yeah that was that was a really fun ride that was a uh, that was definitely the first time i'd ever kind of done anything of that like size for a while um and yeah i got my ass handed to me um I rolled out of that like, yeah, I definitely think I was like the weakest link there on the, that ride. It was um, it was a tie between you and me. And I remember yeah. on the it, towards the end of that like four-hour climb, Sage was in bad shape. And then at the top, everyone started to like took, you know, 10 minutes. And Sage was like, nope, I'm not resting. I got to keep going. And you put a big <laughs> lead on all of us and you, you kept it going. Yeah, I usually... That's usually my uh, mo. Whether hiking or in, in on a, on the big days, I I like to call it. It's like the W. Is it the W? W or an M or maybe it's a V. It kind of depends. It's like I usually start pretty strong, going at a pretty good pace, 
I usually will have a point in the day where I'm just like nosedive and I'm just kind of like dragging my feet for a while, maybe an hour or so, but I usually end strong. I usually am like, I, you know, usually will. Yeah. Yeah, I think you and me are both like that or we're not really fitness athletes. So like how much output we, we're doing is kind of like lost on us and we tend to go by excitement more than our, <laughs> you know, like, like, and That's if you great. ask Carl Decker, like he can tell you pretty accurately what wattage he's like, he even has a number for it. He's like, no, I'm doing 185 Watts right now or 200 Watts. <laughs> right. He knows, what like, feels like. he knows what that feels like. He knows what that feels like. And so he can really yeah. pace himself, but you and I, we just get excited. We're just, so we start frothing we, and then we do two laps really fast. And, <laughs> Yeah, we know what good feels like. Oh, that's all good. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. We, I'll take yeah. another. Thank you, sir. I'll have another. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff, the difference man. between the the action sports athletes and the fitness athletes. Yeah, totally. Uh, Whoa, man. Whoa. Yeah, dude. I'm super glad that we got to go to Mexico together and I'm so glad you moved back to Bend. It's just rad to have you as a, as a fucking mentor and a friend and it's been rad. Likewise, man. Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I love being here, man. I just, we're, um, yeah, this is, this is paradise. You know, I've definitely Annie and I, my wife, we worked, we worked really our our whole lives to kind of like set, set this all up it's like we've been together over 10 years we kind of met she we both lived in kind of urban places we spent a bunch of time urban and uh then it was like when it came time to have a family and ben was just like the place you know and yeah uh and then now we've been here five years uh yeah just we're just so happy and stoked and um you know, we have a good community of friends, each individually and together and, um, going into like the current, uh, state of affairs with the whole, uh, pandemic and lockdown and all that. It's like our whole lives, we've kind of set ourselves up to be just like out here doing, just living our life in this way. And it's sort of made things easy you know, we've, we set it up nicely because now when this has happened, it's like, hasn't been a huge transition. And, um, we're, we're, yeah, I feel real fortunate to, um, to kind of have that. It's been pretty easy for us. For Um, sure. Yeah. Having a nice ranch to chill at. Yeah. We now, right. We, I live outside of Bend. It's rural. Um, I got space, I got a yard, you know, it's like, we basically, yeah, have, have a lot of freedoms that not everyone has. So, so that's really fortunate. Um, and yeah, feel, feel lucky and grateful for that. And also that, you know, it's like, well, we worked, we worked hard and we've kind of like been working to set this up, not for this reason, but just because that's the way we want to be living our life. So, yeah, it's a good way to be living, man. I've been building a bunch of gardens lately. I've built, let's see, one, two, three, like I'm, I'm on kind of like four or five gardens here in Bend trying to get a bunch of food grown. I think that beautiful. everyone kind of experienced this system fragility in different, in slightly different ways. And one of the things that I was kind of concerned about was 
our food systems and just how reliant on Fred Meyer I am. Like the grocery right. store. I'm like, if the grocery store doesn't have a tomato, what do I do? Where do I get it? Yeah. Yeah. And I know. I definitely hear you. It was motivating to like want to get the little more self-sustainability. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so I think it's really important. And so I've been trying to do everything I can to encourage people and help them. And I have cool. some great friends who run fencing companies and landscape companies that lend me their tools and their their trailers yeah. and I've been running around and luckily I have I've a V8 been, truck and yeah, tell yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I've been motivated to do, but I kind of have some like hurdles that I've been having a hard time getting over. Um, just with being rural here, I basically either need like a hoop house. I either need to build like a hoop house or, uh, you know, like a hundred by 50, like, um, big deer fence kind of infrastructure mm. because I can't have a garden really at all. It's just deer food. Without. It's just deer food. Exactly. We get, which is right. You know, it's like, I live out here in rural, like I'm not the, the deer is part of it out here. So, um, it just, so it's just like it's the a, protein you know, source. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I got a thousand dollars minimum maybe, you know, that I got to put in just infrastructure just to get like a structure or a, uh-huh. a space kind of. Uh-huh. And that's kind of been a hurdle that I've been like, I'm gonna, oh, I'm doing it. I'm like been on the internet, like got like a whole fence system kind of planned out. Uh, been to the local store, you know, like looking at stuff like, oh, wait, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I kind of just, I'm like kind of just stuck. I don't know. Yeah. Well. We'll go, we'll, we'll go pedal this one out. We'll go pedal on well, the local butte. And that's kind of problem. On that. one of the problems is like, whenever I do have free time, I just sort of want to go, go mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you Sage. I know. Yeah. And you know me, it's like the same thing. I'm like, Oh, day off paraglide. Mountain bike. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's good, man. I don't know. I live my life a lot. Oh, that, that whole I don't know, a long time in, in that way where it's just like, I don't know, it's not worth sweating the bullshit. And sometimes there's like just stuff that you want to do is what's most important. Yeah. What do you think about this whole thing? Do you worry about your sponsorships? Kind of like this whole thing changing the nature of your business model? Well, I mean, I'm sort of like in that place whether there's a pandemic or not. Yeah. Maybe, you're worried you know? about it with pandemic or not. <laughs> no, I'm not necessarily like worried about it, but I just am like, you know, I've been uh, a pro skier, like filming movies uh, going on almost 20 years now. And so it's just like, I'm kind of at the point in my life and my career um, where it's just like, all right, well, the way I'm a pro skier now is like it's or has been is just, you know, I've been, it's slowly been changing, but it's just like, it's not going to be like that forever. And what's the next phase and what's the next step. And so, um, yeah, maybe there's some like realization or, or like that, huh, maybe this is the like time that those changes happen more drastically or maybe it isn't. Um, it's like, I, I don't really kind of know what that next step is, is. And so I don't, not really like super concerned about it. I feel like I'm in a good place with the companies that I work with to, um, 
continue a relationship. Maybe, like I said, maybe the way that relationship is or looks changes or is different and life's flexible and I'm flexible and kind of always looking towards what those options and things may be. And, uh, yeah. And for now it's kind of still, I mean, it was, it's interesting cause it's like still the sort of plan to be the same. Like I was still planning to film with TGR and I had two trips with them this winter lined up and I didn't have actually any filming going down and I was on a trip like driven, uh, for 14 an hour. No, I had driven for eight hours, nine hours, one direction. And, um, got a call that the trip got canceled. Now I was right when stuff was kind of coming down. And so I turned around, drove home and it was like, Oh, well that trip's canceled. Gosh, all right, well maybe I'll go on the next trip. And then it was like, you know, soon to realize like everything's canceled, man. Yeah. Like you're, n- we're not going anywhere. So I went from like having two different trips that I was going on with TGR, like six weeks of filming or something to zero. Uh, so all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm not even really in the TGR movie then this year because you know, the whole pandemic. So, all right, well, that's over. Like how else do I, what do I do this year for my job? But luckily, uh, crew here was, we were already working on a project. So, um, why I didn't film with TGR, I working on another little personal movie. Um, and with the crew that I made elemental with, um, uh, Jonathan and Jacob. So, uh, John Jacob Jingleheimer Sage Productions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our joking name. That's our jo- <laughs> but it's true. It's Jonathan Chandler, Jacob Callahan, Sage, John Jacob <laughs> Jingleheimer Sage Productions. Oh, oh, I remember. love that. This yeah, really, dude. really has a ring to it. It really um, does. That is going to catch on soon. And I love your perspective there. Just like things are always in flux, regardless of pandemic or not and staying flexible and keeping your head on a swivel and being adaptable and having lots of skill sets. And if you can't produce it with TGR, produce it on your own and all those things. That's, I think your head is on straight. And honestly, dude, as I've done this gardening thing, I've had like a couple of pretty deep realizations in regards to my professional athlete career. And I have, I have in the last month or six weeks in all of this, I have felt more grounded and connected than I have in a really long time. And, you know, like in the last number of years, I've paraglided on 12 countries or in 12 countries on five continents. And like, I've been all over the place and it's been amazing and transformational, but to be here and to be like connecting with people locally and to be like gardening with like my hands in the dirt and to be like building things that are going to provide something to meet my most basic needs and to be like building communities here. Like we're building community gardens and we're like knocking on doors being like, Hey, like you want to donate? Do you want to shovel? Do you want to plant? Do you want to tend and water and harvest? Like, we're just kind of like building these things. And it's, it's, um, my epiphany has been almost like for like almost a decade, I've been selling myself as some kind of like nebulous, ethereal abstraction that I'm like, Hey brand, I'm cool. I do awesome things. And I tell stories, your followers are going to love this. You should pay me. Right. And that's like, in general, it's a tough, that's a tough ass sell, you know? And uh, it's a numbers game. You got to kind of be 
hearing a lot of no's to get to the yes on that one. And, and now it's like, I feel so, and that's all like kind of over the internet where like your relationships are with people who you don't have a physical connection with that you don't know that personally. And it's also a very diffuse level of relationship because at any time, like Sage has a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. So like you take the relationship he has with his following and you can imagine that it's very large, but it's also very diffuse. It's very shallow in a way. Right. Totally. And yes. so for me to kind of like put that aside for a while and to start connecting with like 20 people here in Bend yeah. in a much deeper way has like had me feel a lot more grounded and totally. And the thing that has really like, it has raised a question in me of like, do I want to be, you know, one of the things that I've basically made my career on over the last five years is international travel films. I was like, the first one I made was from Morocco. And then I made one from China. Then I made one from Italy. Then I made one from Canada. And these are like the kinds of things that I've really like kind of, these are the cornerstones of my sponsorships, especially with keen footwear. And Now I'm wondering, I'm like, wait a second, can I still be sponsored at the same level? And instead of being an international travel filmmaker, can I be a community builder? Can I be a podcaster? Can I be someone who's like having important conversations and trying to synthesize deep ideas and trying to encourage people to think about things in a different way so that their thinking translates into their behavior, their behavior into their habits and their habits into society at large? Like, and I'm wondering, I'm like, can I be sponsored for being a community garden builder, a community (laughs) builder, you know, like, can I do it locally? What if I just stayed local and I told the stories in the same way that I told my stories from Morocco or from China? What if I just told my stories about Bend, Oregon community gardening? Totally. like will brands sponsor that? So that's like the big inquiry that I'm in right now. <laughs> that's I'm awesome. Like, yeah. I love it, dude. I think, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on your way of thinking, you know, it's, it's like, well, for one thing, you know, kind of just having that balance is so key. Um, like you're saying, it's like, um, I don't know, I guess I can relate. Like I went, you know, as, as my kind of ski career was like in its, like peaking travel times. It was like, I was, it wasn't that many years ago that it was like, for me, every, I would never be in one place for more than two weeks at a time. Two weeks was like the longest I would ever be in one place. And I would never be at home for more than two weeks at a time before being, you know, going somewhere and coming back, whether that was all year long, all year long for years and years and years and years, you know, and that was sometimes it's just, you know, uh, overnight trip, you know, a couple hours away, or sometimes it was a personal recreation or visiting family or some professional trip to some other country, but it was like always kind of on the go. And then moving to Bend and starting a family that totally changed. Mm -hmm. And it was a little shocking at first, but it was like, like you said, like there's kind of this grounding aspect and that was really inviting. Um, and then the more I've kind of got into that, I guess, I don't know. I was, I was laughing like about this whole experience, like you're saying, kind of forcing us to be grounded, forcing us to kind of refocus where our energy goes, refocusing what we, what we do and where, yeah, where we, where we put our energy and forced to put our, putting our energy locally 
is kind of awesome. And it is awesome. It's what we need to do. It's what we're being called to do. We have to get yeah. a little bit more connected to our, and I did an interview on this podcast with a guy, Howard Rheingold, who is a virtual communities expert and started writing about virtual communities in 1987 when like the internet wasn't even like yet the internet. Right. And we kind of talked about this relationship, like the ratio of the quantity of relationships you can have online and the depth yeah. of relationship that you can have online. Yeah. And it's like, you, it's, it's not to say that you can't have a deep virtual relationship because he uses the example that if you have a rare disease or if you have a rare type of grief that you went through a very specific type of thing, you could find a group online that would support you in a really deep and profound way. And you can build really deep relationships like that. Really specifically to what you've gone exactly. through and what is might be really hard to find those people, but exactly. through a system like the internet, you could, right? That's yeah. Been, yeah. But if you aren't using it for such a deliberate thing, then you can find yourself in the case where you have 5,000 friends on Facebook, none of which are, high bandwidth, high trust uh, relationships that you can actually like derive, like offload some of your needs onto. Like I can call Sage and like I ha have gone through something emotionally that I could uh, need someone to listen or share. And I could also like call Sage and say, Hey, like I need your help at the house with this. Or like, I need you to go to the store for me for this. It's like any number of things. Right. So these virtual relationships that are divided by geography, right? Like your friend in Salt Lake City can't water the plants when you're not home. Yeah. But yeah. like your buddy two blocks away really can. And yeah. so when you start, you know, when we stop traveling as much as we have, we really realize that, or, or I guess one of the things that I realized first was that I didn't know my neighbor's names. <laughs> right. I like it. Right from being home so much, I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> like I've lived in the same place for eight years and I literally don't know all of my neighbor's names. Right. And that was like a problem. I was like, man, like, cause if you think, you know, we kind of have seen in the last six weeks, we have seen shit hit the fan to a certain degree. We have stopped yeah. traveling. We have stopped kind of doing certain things that we used to do. And we can mentally extrapolate that idea out a bit and say, okay, if shit were to hit the fan even worse, if like the gas station were to close, yeah, like then we're not like, like even Sage, you're 18 minutes from me in my truck. And I'm like, Oh, Sage is kind of out of my geographic location that like yeah. if Sage has to ride his e-bike over to my house to water the plants. Like he ain't watering the plants. <laughs> so it's like, I kind of realized like if this escalates any further, like the people here on my block, the people yeah. within, you know, a half a mile radius of my home are my community. Yeah. And it's like geography is a really important factor in the potential bandwidth of a relationship, like how much trust, how much capacity, how much power the relationship can have is really dependent on geography in a paradigm like we're seeing right now. Big time. Yeah. That's yeah, a really crazy thing. And this whole thing has been a super weird mental yeah. experiment. 
Yeah. And a good, yeah, a good perspective to kind of see sort of starkly like that and, and sort of recognize, I think it ta- it's, it's cool because this is like, you know, some of the cool things that this has brought on is, is probably right, an opportunity for you to go meet your neighbors and, and real have that realization and then, and take up the, you know, do that. I think another thing is like, when we are kind of like, we've been restricted from this sort of our, these social, you know, kind of things that we're used to doing, um, I think it's also, you know, like reaching out to the people we love more off, you know, it's been a cool, I think a lot of people are feeling the same. I'm doing this, like talking to my family more often, just telling the people that you love and care for friends, family, you know, just how much you appreciate them, you know, just like those little those little things that kind of start to get overlooked. I've been on this program where I like try to call, like I don't do it every single day, but um, I just been like calling friends or people that I haven't like talked to in a while um, just to like chat. Um, and I was starting to do that kind of before the pandemic, just cause it was like something we didn't do anymore was just call the chat. And so I had, a, it was only like a couple friends, but I would like one friend, I just like, Hey man, how's it going, man? <laughs> like nothing like no you know because we just don't do that and i yeah. think it's kind of funny and so it's like kind of fun to just call people just because they're like uh so what's up nothing yeah just nothing just saying, just hey. shooting the shit yeah totally and it's kind of great so i was already kind of like starting to do it but then this just kind of like got the ball rolling even more so now i'm trying to do that more regularly so there's been some kind of fun things like that the the social like where you where you where you're saying it's like um the my you know people the people in your neighborhood, the people that you're closest to, that your, your actual real community are, are so important. Also the people that you, yeah, you're, you're lo- whether you're, um, you know, just connecting and, and talking to those people, I think is, is something that it's, yeah, kind of real, realizing the balance of, of the macro and the micro and, and the importance of kind of both. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I, and I feel like what you're pointing out is like, there are different, like we have myriad needs, like we have so many different needs as a human being, like, yeah. like emotional connection and emotional support and chatting and bullshitting and socializing in general is like a basic need, but yeah. so is shelter and food and clean water. And these, like there are physical needs that we have for so long, our physical needs have been so readily available to us, right? Like the gro- there's yeah. three grocery stores within a quarter mile of my house. And it's yeah. like, those needs have been so readily provided for us by the market that we have not needed to use each other to provide our most basic physical needs. And we've just relied on each other for our emotional needs. And now it's like, Hey, remember how you need those emotional needs? Well, now zoom has (laughs) gone from 10 million daily users to 300 million daily users in four (laughs) days. Okay. Totally, dude. Crazy. But the other physical needs are taking longer for people to realize that they're like, Hey, maybe we ought to like kind of come together and, and provide for our physical needs. Like we do come together on zoom dance parties to provide for our social needs. Yeah, totally. So it's a transition phase and I, you know, I worry that we'll, we'll do too little too late and then July will come around and we'll have a, fresh vegetable shortage at the grocery store, right? Like the rice yeah, isn't going to run out will, and the grain man. isn't going to run out. Like we have all those things and all the processed bullshit foods like are ad infinitum, yeah. but the fresh well, foods could be, could could be, be good. Tougher. Could, could be, be good. good, dude. Could be a good well, wake up call. Thing. It's like, 
Yeah, it's like we're used to just having like a banana and avocado like at any time in our life. Like at any day of the year, I can just go get an avocado and a banana. That's kind of bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, dude. It is. I love that you say that because I have literally been in that same inquiry. I look at my bananas every morning. I'm like, wait a second. I mean, I'm eating, I got bananas and avocados in there and I just ate, I think I just ate one a day. I'm like, this thing's been on a journey to get to my table. It's just sort of like, I mean, the way it would suck for a little while, we would get back to some sort of stasis, but it, I mean, it could, if, if that shortage would happen, would we still survive? Yeah, we would still have, you know, it's like, I, it kind of, if it does turn up another notch, it's kind of a good thing. Yeah. I kind of, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough, man. Where I mean, yeah, it's. I don't know. We're in the liminal. We are in the I don't know right now. We're in the, the IDK. We're in an IDK. It's going to be a decade of IDK right now. And I am doing my best to temper my, my emotions, my will, my intellect to relinquishing control and relinquishing certainty and letting myself not know. And I think that's really healthy. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. I think it's you true. have so much experience in that because you're like dropping in. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, well, it's a con, it's like this constant practice in the effort of, um, not like refocusing, like, what can I control? What do I have? Like, what do I have, uh, strength in and where, where can I put that energy and what can I control and what's not beneficial to me? And, uh, and you just gotta, I mean, it's, it's something you gotta work on all the time. I think it's like the fundamentals of, of any of life of sport of all things. It's like you coming back to the fundamentals of like when you're skiing, keep your hands forward, angulate your hips, you know, <laughs> lean down the fall line, not back. Those things are things like I tell myself, you tell a big, I tell my kids, you know, it's like, it's, it's something that those, those fundamentals are so key. Um, and we're kind of in that place now again, when we're hit with this mental, physical kind of hardships of like the fundamentals of just keeping a clear head and, you know, kind of being, yeah, being in a good place are, are kind of key. And so, yeah, keeping that balance is what it's all about. That's right. I think you and I share that. We have lots of things to do that we like to do. We're not stuck to skiing. Yeah, I think that's definitely key um, for me during this whole thing. I don't know. It was like, I got so much to do. Like, I feel like things are already, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, are people like going, like, is it like over? Because I have like way more to accomplish while I'm at home here, like not doing anything. Like I got to, I'm not ready for it to like, like my honeydew list is still long right now. Yeah. I got so much to do, man. (laughs) Um, no, but also just like, I I don't know. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. IDK generation. Here we go. (laughs) But dude, so good talking to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast again. Love having you. All over the map. All over the map. I was hoping we'd do that. Kind of get into a bunch of things. It's good to chat with you. As always. And I'll see you tomorrow. Um, We'll go skiing. Glad to talk about biking. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll go ski tomorrow. All right, Sage. Love you, buddy. I don't know. I'm not going skiing. Or is this public? Can you cut that part out? What if I'm not going skiing? No, we got a social. I'm sitting distance. on the couch. We're sitting on the couch. Not doing anything. <laughs>
<laughs> Love you, buddy. Talk soon. Uh, great chat, Mary. Peace, man. Yeah. See you, buddy. See ya. Thanks. Okay, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I had a blast talking with Sage and I'm looking forward to our next outing in the mountains, which who knows when that'll happen. <laughs> but if you like this podcast, consider supporting it by sharing it and subscribing and leaving a review and all that free stuff. And the not free stuff is donate. I don't have any sponsors right now. You're my sponsor. You're my new sponsor. I need you to pay me. Donate paypal.me slash airy in the air. If you think that these are the kind of conversations we need to be having, if you want to support me in trying to create the new world, if you want to support me in trying to be pirate radio, I need your help financially. Keep this whole thing afloat. All right. That's paypal.me slash airy in the air. Thank you so much for being here. I will see you on the next episode. All right. So you guys stay healthy, stay sane, stay safe. Stay happy, all right? Go outside, walk the dog. All right, love you guys. See you later. I'll be laughing with everyone I know.